Welcome to You Had to Be There, the podcast where we deep dive into the weird, fun, wild, and dark moments that can only happen throughout a live music performance. I'm your host, Julia Gomberg. As a seasoned explorer of concert chaos and working in the music industry, I know more than anyone that a performance isn't just about the music. It's about the madness that happens when you're right there in the thick of it among the fans. Each episode, I'll deep dive into the lore of concert and festival venue crowds to uncover the most unforgettable concert experiences, for better or for worse. You had to be there, but if you weren't, don't worry, I've got you covered. Hey listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the first official episode of You Had to Be There. I am so excited to have you embark on this podcasting journey with me. So for those who don't know me, I am Julia, I live in Brooklyn, and I've been working in the music industry for close to a decade, and live music has always been my absolute favorite part of it. I've had the lucky opportunity to work at and attend countless concerts and music festivals, and I really don't think that I've ever left a show without a story or two to tell, and I know that so many friends and concert goers can definitely relate to that this podcast concept kind of came to fruition was about a year ago when I was at an LCD sound system show in Brooklyn and a man who I can only assume was a dad because he was dressed like he just left his car dealership that he works at walked up to my friend Steph who's about five foot two asked her if she'd like to get on his shoulders so she could see the stage better and she politely and fearfully declined so yeah like just as I say in my intro a concert to me isn't just about the music it's really about the chaos that happens when and you're right there in the thick of it. So I'll be kicking off this project or podcast with a solo episode, but my ultimate goal is to get listeners like you to come on the podcast and share your experiences. They can be hilarious, they can be drug-induced, they can be dark, emotionally raw, really anything, as long as it's your authentic experience. Be sure to follow the official You Had To Be There Instagram at the letter U, Had To Be There pod, and you can find the guest submission form in my bio. Let's not waste any more time because this first episode that I chose to cover is a two-part doozy. And like, frankly, I feel like it was a bit of an ambitious choice for me to start off with a topic that's so multifaceted, but it's also one that I'm personally very passionate about. So like I said, some episodes will be very lighthearted and some won't be. This one lands more on the heavier side, but like I said, it's about a venue that is near and dear to me. So yeah, let's get started and let's talk about what's happening behind the curtain at one of New York's most popular music venues. Today, we are diving into the beats, the bass, and a bit of the bizarre with the story of Avant Gardner, the music haven that's been rocking Brooklyn and making headlines. Let's rewind the track a bit. Avant Gardner didn't just appear out of thin air. Its roots go deep into the NYC music scene starting back in 2008. City Fox Records, the founders of Avant Gardner, got their start as a European house and techno label. They made their way into the underground US music scene over the next few years with the City Fox experience. Basically, these were like DJ events that were held at unique one-off locations throughout New York City. So by 2015, they gained so much of a successful following that a permanent home base was what made the most sense for them. So that year, the team behind City Fox opened the first generation version of what we know as Avant Gardner in Bushwick. 
A couple years later, the venue began holding events across three different venue spaces, the Great Hall, aka Avant Gardener, the Brooklyn Mirage, and the King's Hall. In its entirety, the venue is today the largest standing room entertainment complex in North America and Brooklyn's second largest entertainment venue, second to Barclays Center. For those who've never sent foot in the venue, I know it can be slightly confusing with like all these different names. Basically, all you need to know is this. Avant Gardner is the indoor portion of the venue. Brooklyn Mirage is the seasonal outdoor part of the venue. And the King's Hall is just like this other indoor stage that honestly is like, I've seen some weird shit in there. It's just irrelevant to the story. But yeah, each space hosts different shows and different vibes. So after a quiet 2020, thanks to the COVID shutdown, in 2021, the third generation of the Brooklyn Mirage was revealed, introducing a brand new epic 200 foot wide, 30 foot high video wall and an impressive 6,000 person capacity, according to the Avant Gardner website. So thanks to this fancy upgrade in 2022, Avant Gardner and the Brooklyn Mirage gained even more national attention and were named North America's best large club by DJ Mag. So it all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? By 2022, I had like attended at least a dozen, if not more shows from Grammy nominated pop stars, Christina Aguilera, Kim Petras to DJ Mag's quoted best DJ of all time winner, Tiesto. It was really rare for me to pass up on a show at Brooklyn Mirage or Avant Gardner. I'm constantly going through my group chats of who's down for whatever show they announced that week and who is in charge of getting us all the tickets. It really was like the go-to destination for my friends and I in our 20s, and I'm sure a lot of listeners who live in the area can relate to that. To give you a more vivid idea of what the experience of Avant Gardner really is like, I'm going to do a quick walkthrough of like as if you're attending a show there for the first time and what you would expect in terms of security and just the full experience. Today, Avant Gardner exclusively sells their tickets through this app called Dice, which basically is a ticket selling app that prevents resales from happening so that you can get the face value of the ticket instead of getting screwed over by people who are reselling them. It's a pretty effective app, but it does make it complicated for selling tickets. But so normally, Avant Gardner will announce a presale date, which is basically the opportunity to buy tickets before they go out to the full public and there's a passcode that you would have to enter into the app to access the pre-sale code. Pre-sale tiers tend to be cheaper than general public so it's always good to jump on those if you can. Once the tickets are bought and the day approaches you are going to want to take a long ass nap let me tell you because it's a long night. Usually my friends and I would get together around 9 p.m and then head out to the venue around 10 to 10 30 p.m. By that point, maybe the opener has been on, but probably just getting started. It really isn't likely that you're going to see the headliner until 2 a.m. Usually they play until about 3 or 4, and then sometimes there's even an afters DJ who performs until I don't know when, because at that point I am out of there in my Uber or in bed. Once you arrive at the venue, you are directed by security to enter a line to go through security. It's pretty straightforward. The first thing they have you do is show your ID to show that you're 21 or 18, depending on the show age restrictions. And once you are inside the actual venue, it's basically just like a giant warehouse with some bars set up, some couches, and it feels very clubby. But you're not in yet. You still have to go through the security line. It definitely has like a TSA vibe to it where there's metal detectors, there's tables to put your change and your phone in. It's pretty standard. But what isn't standard is what happens next. Once you are 
at the front of the line to go through the metal detector. They will also pat you down pretty intensely and use a metal detector over your body. I've been asked to take my shoes off, to untie my hair from a bun. Surprisingly, they do take drug confiscation very seriously and they will remove you from the line if you are carrying anything or they happen to catch you carrying anything. And security has no problem confiscating your items. I've gotten so many random things taken away from chapstick to chewing gum. They really don't let you get away with much. But somehow, when there's a will, there's a way because I have seen plenty of drugs inside the venue. Finally, when you're through security successfully and all your friends made it too, hopefully, you have to go and finally scan your ticket at the front desk. Then, my friends, you're not done yet. You have to go to this kiosk area that really does feel like an airport when you're checking in. They will give you a wristband that you need to load your debit or credit card into so that way when you're buying overpriced drinks, you can quickly just scan your wristband and don't have to deal with a credit card or cash and I think really they just want to make it as easy as possible for you to spend money when you're drunk or inebriated. And let me tell you, the drinks really are overpriced. I'm not being dramatic. Like if you want a Red Bull vodka, that's literally $20 right there for you. And all jokes aside, I think that's why people do so many drugs at the venue because everything's so overpriced if you want a drink. Now, depending if you're going to Avant Gardner or Brooklyn Mirage, you will head over to the appropriate venue and the show hopefully begins. I would say though, it's really never a time for you to let your guard down because you're in big crowds of people. If you're with your friends, it's really easy to lose people, especially if you wanna go to the bathroom. There's only a couple bathrooms that are available and it can get pretty hectic pretty fast. The more people that show up in the venue, the more chaotic it obviously becomes. And that's why I like to get there early so I can kind of get my groundings, find a good spot, and just get a good sense of the space before things get rowdy. Once the show starts, the fun obviously begins. But again, that doesn't mean your guard should be down. There's always a lot of people running around touching you a little too closely, and you just really have to keep your wits about you. Plus, for better or for worse, security is very much on it, and they will go through the crowd looking pretty inconspicuous, but they're really just looking for people who are doing illegal drugs or vaping even and kicking them out. But if you're there and just enjoying the music with a group of friends, hopefully that's what you're able to achieve. Generally, that's how my experience has gone. So I would say it's a pretty standard night at the Mirage if all of those things happened. When it's time to leave, again, I like to leave a little earlier, not just because I'm old and tired, but because I like to beat the rush of ride shares and I just want to get out of the venue as quickly as possible, especially when people start wandering out of the venue and they're very inebriated and it just becomes a lot more chaotic than what I want to put up with. And it can get really chaotic. Like you walk out and all of a sudden, where did all of the security go? Because they were up in your business the entire night and suddenly when it's time to leave, there's really not a single person on site, maybe one or two in like the back area of the smoker section outside. But that is it. Once you leave the venue premise and you're like on the street right across from the venue, so you're like technically still there, but not really, there is no monitoring of patrons whatsoever. It really is like a leave at your own risk situation. So when start, things started getting a little dark with Brooklyn Mirage and Avant Gardner, I really wasn't surprised because there's so much negligence once patrons leave. 
There's food trucks blasting electronic music. There's strobe lights. There's just so many disoriented people trying to get in cars, going to the wrong cars. There's fake cabs pulling over, asking you if you want to ride to didn't just Venmo them. It really feels like you're leaving a very busy bus station. But instead of regular passengers, everyone's fucked up. And I would be lying if I said that part of its appeal was not the recreational drugs that I partook with in my 20s, but I was always responsible. So I guess it was never really an issue for my friends and I in terms of like feeling unsafe. It really truly was always like this space for us to let loose, create memories and really just discover new music. Things this past summer, though, suddenly seemed to take a darker turn for the venue and uncovered an even darker past. And this, my listeners, is where the story gets interesting. After two separate shows at the venue this past summer, two 27-year-old men were tragically found dead in the surrounding area after going out to attend shows at Avant Gardner's Brooklyn Mirage. Soon after the young men were seen inside or near the venue, they were later found in Newtown Creek, a waterway roughly 30 minutes on foot from the venue. The circumstances surrounding their deaths appeared weirdly similar to Carl Clemente, age 27, a psychologist, went to Brooklyn Mirage on June 11th, but it was turned away by staff at the door because he had been drinking. Footage obtained by Fox 5 New York showed him quote, walking towards a nearby gas station, end quote, and showed him running down Metropolitan Avenue towards a nearby lumberyard. Police found Clemente's body on June 16th. They oddly enough didn't find his wallet or phone on him. Several weeks later, John Castick, also age 27, a Goldman Sachs analyst, attended a Zed's Dead show with his friends at the Brooklyn Mirage on July 28th. He left the venue at 2.30 a.m. and security footage shows him walking, apparently unimpaired, away from the venue shortly after. The Independent reports that at 3.51 a.m., his phone recorded his location at the Metropolitan Avenue Bridge, about an eight-minute walk from Newtown Creek, where police found his body on the morning of August 1st. Police found his phone, wallet, and keys on him, and Castic's father told the New York Post that the official cause of death is drowning. As a frequent concert attendee, I can't even imagine not ever making it home after a show. And it's still unclear what happened. But all I know is that the venue didn't ensure the safety of these patrons, and that was enough to turn me off from sealing safe to go back there. As if these two events weren't tragic and sketchy enough, the most bizarre incident occurs next. Michael Bautista, age 32, who's a surgeon from Norwalk, Connecticut, got into what he thought was his taxi outside of the Brooklyn Mirage on July 21st. According to the New York Post, instead of being driven to his car as he requested, Bautista was kidnapped for nearly two days. The two defendants allegedly forced Bautista to take them on a $6,000 shopping spree. The trip is said to have included stops at several restaurants, a strip club, a footlocker, and a barber shop in the Bronx. Bautista also said that he was forced to withdraw nearly $1,000 from ATMs all throughout this joyride. This one is kind of funny, and according to the Gothamist, Batista told them, his kidnappers, that if he didn't show up to the hospital for work the next day, the hospital staff would start reporting him missing. So they just dropped him off the next morning at the hospital, and that's when he reported the incident. It just feels so super bad coded to me, like when the cops take McLovin for a joyride and drop him back off at the house party, like nothing happened. But in all seriousness, what the actual fuck? Like, I just couldn't wrap my head around the idea that 
that a venue that I frequented so much that's essentially in my backyard has become the grounds for life-threatening danger. Any of these victims could easily have been my friends or myself. What was Avant Gardner doing during all of this, right? The only public communications that were made by the venue was on August 1st when they released a short statement to the press and posted on their Instagram story. It read, We are saddened by the recent passing of John Castic and Carl Clemente. We send our deepest condolences to the individuals, families, friends, and all of those impacted. Out of respect to those affected, we have refrained from commenting prematurely. During this time, we encourage the community to come together and support one another. We will continue to provide our full assistance to the investigating authorities. This just rubbed me the wrong way, especially the line that said we have refrained from commenting prematurely. Just to go back on our timeline here, the first incident or death was June, and they were afraid to prematurely comment in August. I honestly don't think that they would have said anything if people weren't asking them to. So I'm a member of a Facebook group called Buying and Selling Rave Tickets NYC, and it's basically, it went from a ticket resale marketplace to a forum for locals to come together to really discuss these incidents and express their concerns for their safety, as well as their disappointment in the venue's lack of accountability through it all. I went through some of the comments and they read things like, Brooklyn Mirage was amazing when it first opened, but since then I've watched Avant Gardner steadily devolve into one of the greediest, most POS promoters that ever existed. Now they oversell all their events to the point it's seriously become unsafe and impossible to enjoy. Another user wrote, I went to Avant Gardner and it was literally the worst experience of my life. I would have paid to not experience that. It seemed like the second that one person spoke up, Everyone had something to say, and it got me thinking. I totally agreed with what they were saying, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized how risky every time I left that venue was. There's little to no street lighting, there's barely any phone service, if any, and it can be really confusing to navigate your way out of the crowd to your Uber or the subway path. Normally, I would leave in groups, but as I got out more confident, I would start leaving on my own. But admittedly, Looking back, there had been some instances where I probably was being a little too overconfident in my safety, or lack thereof. But as I've said in this episode, I don't believe that anyone should have to be concerned for their safety when attending a concert. I found myself feeling extremely disappointed in the lack of accountability from Avant Gardner, but at the same time, I began feeling really inspired by the people who have spoken up about it. So that's when I decided to take some of the matters into my own hands. I knew reaching out to the venue probably wouldn't be the most effective approach, so I decided to research who does make the most sense to reach out to about these concerns. I was able to reach out to the New York City Department of Nightlife, Councilwoman Jennifer Gutierrez, who represents the district where Avant Gardner is located, and I did reach out to Avant Gardner directly. I ended up drafting a petition asking all of these people to consider the following measures to ensure the safety of patrons and locals at the venue. After collaborating with some other people, I thought about it, and these were some of the things that we asked them to consider. To install security surveillance cameras along the surrounding streets of the venue. To install better street lighting for the surrounding streets. Hire more venue security guards to stand outside the venue exits. 
create better barricades to direct inbound and outbound ride shares like Ubers and Lyfts for picking up patrons. I asked them to post better signage surrounding the venue exits to guide and remind patrons to be aware of their surroundings and to look out for others. And lastly, eliminate solicitors from stepping foot into the premise of the venue exit area and only allowing permitted vehicles to enter. I decided to share the petition across some social media platforms, including that Facebook group I mentioned earlier and some subreddit forums as well. Honestly, though, I was shocked by how quickly my petition circulated and how much it was clearly resonating with other patrons. Other people started to share and use the petition letter to send to the local officials, and it even got picked up by local news outlets, including The Gothamist and WNYC Radio. I was pleasantly surprised to get a good amount of responses from the people we reached out to, including Councilman Gutierrez herself. But can you guess who didn't respond? Avant Gardner. Can you say shocker? As more people began to hear about it, more of Avant Gardner's troubling past began to be exposed. As it turns out, the venue's squeaky clean history was a lot more tarnished than one would have thought. After the tragic deaths, reporters began to reveal a lot more of the venue's problematic past than I ever expected them to. The regulator, which controls the licenses that allows bars, restaurants, and entertainment venues to sell alcohol, had raised many concerns over the years about what it called, quote, rampant drug use, end quote, at the venue, including three prior on-site overdose deaths. Unfortunately, this included a 41-year-old man in 2017, a 21-year-old woman in 2018, and a 23-year-old woman in 2021. Horrible. According to records obtained by the Gothamist through the State Liquor Authority and public records requests, more than 1,600 people were treated at Avant Gardner for intoxication or an altered mental state from 2018 to mid-2022. Avant Gardner was consequently fined $100,000 and were required to hire a babysitter, I mean an independent monitor, to oversee its operations and they were warned that future missteps could lead to its liquor license being pulled. Not very plur of you, Avant Gardner. I'm kind of shocked that these horrible incidents were so easily overlooked in previous years, at least to the public. Because a lot of the controversy that I found within researching the deaths this past summer, people were saying it wasn't Avant Gardner's responsibility since the deaths didn't occur at the venue. But regardless, here are three more examples of people who did die on the premises of the venue. So the math is mathing. So back in August, after Councilwoman Gutierrez received the petition from countless patrons, including myself, she ended up issuing a statement that mourned the two deaths and echoed some of the concerns in the letter. She said, I've been a strong advocate for investments and improvements into the industrial business zone for many years, both during my time as the council member and as the chief of staff for the previous member. While for many New Yorkers, North Brooklyn is a haven of nightlife and community, for thousands more, it is the community in which they live and work in the same conditions that you have highlighted. She then went into detail explaining the plans that she and her team have been focusing on leading for better safety measures for the area. She finishes off by saying, I'm working with other elected officials, city agencies, and private business owners in the area to come up with solutions and appreciate the suggestions in your email and welcome more. 
Since starting the recording of this podcast, I reached out to her for an update since it is now January, but unfortunately I haven't received a response. So now that a few months have passed, where are we? Today, Avant Gardner continues to sell out tickets to shows, book in-demand artists, and serves as the dance music hub of Brooklyn. I personally haven't been back since the summer, but I get it. For other EDM fans, beggars can't be choosers. There's only so many options for large capacity venues in New York. Regardless of their involvement and responsibility in these safety issues, I just really wish that Avant Gardner would take some damn accountability. Come back for part two because even more skeletons have been coming out of Avant Gardner's closet lately. From overselling tickets and violating their venue capacity, to not paying out artists for book shows as recently as this past month, to thousands of festival attendees never receiving refunds after the cancellation of day one of Electric Zoo Festival, which was managed by Avant Gardner themselves. It really appears that Avant Gardner has run out of good vibes. The beat goes on and the questions linger. Is Avant Gardner dancing on the edge of danger? Or is this just the price you pay to dance the night away? We'll uncover that drama and then some more in part two. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of You Had to Be There. This episode of You Had to Be There was hosted by Julia Gomberg and researched and produced by Julia Gomberg as well. Come back for part two where we'll be interviewing a special guest and deep diving into the second part of the mystery behind Avant Gardner.